What's up, my shit fits? This is your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and this is Cut the Shit Get Fit. I am currently filming this to do a t part two of the morning routine uh, controlled articular rotation thing that I started last time. So for all my listeners, I highly recommend you click the show notes, click the link to YouTube, my YouTube channel, which you should subscribe because I've been posting a lot on there. I have a lot of exercises. I've surpassed the, you know, thousand video mark of like exercise demonstrations, uh, tutorials on exercises, the video podcast and some other stuff. So highly recommend you check that out. Um, so we're gonna one, do a small review what we did last time. Two, we're gonna move on to all the other body parts that we didn't hit. So we need to hit our elbows, our wrists, our hips, our knees, our ankles, and if we have time, the toes, because I'm gonna get into that later. Anyway, um, shout outs before I forget. Number one, super excited about this, Cleveland, Ohio. Shout out to everyone in Cleveland listening to my show, fun fact, favorite artist is Machine Gun Kelly. That's where he's from. Shout out to everyone in Cleveland. Um, number two, all the way here in Canada, the city of Calgary. Shout out to everyone in Calgary. And number three, uh, I think it's been on my top five the past couple weeks. Chicago, Illinois. Shout out to everyone in Chicago. Super awesome. Getting people from all other places. Really, really, really cool. All right, so cars. What the fuck are cars? Controlled articular rotations. That's the long name. Essentially what it means is the entire range of motion your joint is designed to move in. If we don't use it, we lose it. Facts. Um, so to keep a joint healthy, you have to move the can't talk, articulation through its entirety. If I only use my shoulder for my phone, my laptop and grabbing a cup out of the cupboard, and I don't move my shoulder in any other plane of motion, then all those other parts of the joint itself is gonna get tight, just not, it's just not gonna be healthy, you know? Um, the more we move our joints, the better the joint itself is gonna be, because we're surrounding it, lathering, if you can think about literally, literally, literally lathering the entire joint um, are with synovial fluid, nutrients, everything it needs to be a strong, resilient, robust uh, joint for us to move and do all these different things. Um, quick side note before I forget, Walt Disney's birthday was yesterday. Shout out to all my Disney fans out there like, I am. Um, so cars is essentially moving our joints through our own workspace where the more we can challenge our workspace, the more um, healthier our joints are going to be, but also kind of reinforce our nervous system that um, we own that range of motion. So I'm doing a shoulder car with my arm and the more I do it, the more 
I will have full control of that motion of my entire glenal humeral joint, but also reinforcing to the nervous system that, hey, I own this movement, don't take it away from me. Because our nervous system is one of those things that it's like, hey, you haven't squatted past 90 degrees in a year because you sit at a desk all the, all the time. I'm gonna take that ability away from you because it's super energy sucking. You know, like our nervous system is smart, but sometimes it just fucks us over long term. So that's why we always got to move. Um, so we're going to move on to uh, our elbows. So last time we did our neck. Last time also we did our scapulas, our shoulders, and our T-spine. Now, if you've been practicing those, awesome. If you haven't, start. I'm going to do a separate video um, showcasing a full maybe like tutorial on how to do the cars routine, which I'm going to need for my book anyway, which by the way, I'm hoping, hoping 2021 around summer should be released. Um, keep an eye out. Um, so elbows. So the elbow is one of those joints. I always call it. It's a not a non sexy joint because it doesn't do much. If you really think about it, other than, you know, flexion. So I'm doing a bicep curl extension and like rotation right? That's basically it. But if you combine it with your shoulder flexion, extension, rotation, and now think about how different, all these different directions our shoulder can go into, our elbow can go into all those directions as well, right? So it's an interesting way to combine two joints together, right? Um, but Elbow pain is huge, and funny enough, I am dealing with elbow pain myself right now because, you know what, I did something stupid. And this is, this is a great example because people, when they see my ability to move, they just assume that, oh, you never have any pain. Oh, you're never injured. I fucking get injured. So, went to the grocery store, and it was one of those trips where I'm like, oh, yeah, we're just going to grab, like, two things, and by the time we got out of there, it's like I have like 12 fucking bags with me and you know, here I am with a hurt elbow. So, but I did not injure myself carrying all those bags. It was later on. So here, here's a scenario. I have about seven grocery bags in my right arm and my left arm, I'm holding the biggest bag of flour because it's almost Christmas time and I need to be prepped with a lot of flour so I don't run out. So, bag of flour on my left side, right side, seven bags. But I did not have my elbow locked out to full extension to hold it like a farmer carry. And funny enough, this is where like sports, sports specific, specific training comes into play. When I do farmer carries, I have my elbows in full extension and gripping tight. Like, you know, 70 pounds, 80 pounds, whatever it is, never had an issue. But when I've been when I was holding these grocery bags, I had a slight bend in my elbow, so slight flexion while gripping, because like if I had it straight out, it'd just be hitting my leg the entire time when I was walking. So I had to make some room, and I think in that position, I was actually loading my brachial radialis tendon, because right 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 now, even when I'm pushing on it, it does not feel good. It's it's there. It's there. So I kind of like preloaded it and you know, like it was like just holding on by a thread at that point. 
And then later that night, um, cleaning up, and I had to put away a chair in our storage. I grab the chair with both hands and I extend both of my elbows to place it in the storage room. And the moment I went into full extension, the sharpshooting pain right into that tendon. That's the moment when I injured myself. That's the moment, and, and I've, I've wrote about this in my book. To define an injury, the best way to describe it is when an external force comes within our tissue and the tissue yields. Meaning, force comes in, tissue's like, holy fuck, I'm not used to that kind of force, so now I'm broken, now I have torn, now I have, I have inflammation, whatever it is. And this is where kin stretch comes into play. If I can preload a tissue in different variable motions and movements, so now my body can adapt to that input and can adapt to that stress and that load. So when I you know, go out in the real world and pick up weird shit like that, then I'm more prepared. So now in my head, I'm like, man, I have not really worked my elbows in my kin stretch. And elbows is one of those things that people end up hurting um, periodically. And it's one of those injuries that's so annoying because then that's when you realize like, fuck, I use my elbow for a lot of things. So that being said, I'm going to now incorporate a lot more elbow work. And when you, what my previous comment said, like think of the shoulder car, how many different positions that arm can go into and now adding an elbow car to it. Like if I'm back here in my kind of like abduction and um, what's that called? Extension of my shoulder. Now I can start adding my like elbow cars and just crank that out and maybe hold a tennis ball, lacrosse ball, whatever to create, you know, some irradiation, some tension, some, some stability, some safety, right? Um, but long story short, let's showcase how to utilize elbow cars. So I am standing. Hopefully the camera can see everything I'm doing. So my hands are going to be out in an anatomical position. I want people to think of going into a bicep curl with both arms up. And my hands are in that karate chop position like we did um, with the shoulder car. Now that I'm at my end range of flexion, I'm gonna rotate, meaning I'm gonna do a pronation movement with my forearms, so now you can see the palm of my hands. From this position, I'm gonna go down, kind of like a reverse bicep curl going down, so now my forearms are facing you. From here, I'm gonna come back into flexion. I'm gonna go back into rotation. So I'm gonna go into supination and then I'm gonna come back down. So essentially we're just doing flexion and extension with pronation and um, supination. And here's the key though. I'm not just like flopping my forearms going back and forth. Why don't we start and say I'm back to our anatomical position. When I do that flexion, like curl thing, my thumbs, so if you can see in the video, my thumbs, I'm driving them forward as far as possible. Like hard, like end range hard, right? So look at the difference. So this is like if I just 
did a normal curl. It's not going anywhere. But now if I really focus and try to drive, look at that extra little bit. And my forearms right now are on fire. And funny enough, like I can feel my brachioradialis uh, tendon, like it's like, hey, I'm there, right? So I'm constantly driving those thumbs. And then as I rotate, I don't know why I moved back, to um, pronation, same idea. Like I don't just stop here, I'm like, oh, that's it. I'm driving my thumbs forward as far as possible to get more, get more. And I always say that in my kin stretch class, get more. A lot of people kind of go into their end range and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm just gonna hang out. But I'm like, fucking get more. You can go get more. And I'm almost like thinking like if you took a towel and it's wet and you're trying to wring out that towel, like you're you're not just gonna like squeeze a little bit because you know there's a lot of water in there. So you're gonna crank that thing as hard as possible to get all the water out. Same idea with elbow cars. That's what I wanna see. So nice little demo, anatomical position, curl, rotate, down, back up, rotate back down and that would be one the key thing here with elbows people will get things like tennis elbow and golfer's elbow the way to remember it and i i think i, I got this when i went and got my tpi certification um the way to remember it is for most guys they have you know hair on their forearm and tennis elbow is always on the outside of their elbow because that's where a majority of all of hair, hair is and the tennis ball has that kind of fuzzy covering on it. Whereas on the inside of your elbow, even with a guy that's super hairy, the inside of the elbow tends to be like hairless. Like there's literally like no, no hair on the inside of the elbow. So golfer's elbow because the golf ball is kind of smooth to touch right so tennis elbow fuzzy side golfer's elbow smooth side right super easy to remember um so those two tend to um flare up a lot on people and the funny thing is that a lot of people go treat that um area right off the bat but most of the time when it comes to injury, it's usually looking at the joint above, aka the shoulder, or the joint below the wrist. And we'll get to the wrist in a second, but people with limited shoulder mobility will tend to do stuff overhead, and I'm reaching overhead right now. Now imagine as I bring my arms up and I limit shoulder flexion, we talked about this before, I'm gonna arch my back to get more, and usually what happens is people will bend their elbows to kind of simulate more um, shoulder flexion. So now I have this like constant bend in my sh uh, elbow while doing things overhead, and a lot of times people will, um, you know, press overhead without a locked elbow because they know if they bend it, they can get a little further back. People trying to do chin-ups. This is where I see a lot of injuries to elbows. When people don't have full range of motion at their shoulder joint, they will end up um, placing a lot of stress, usually on the medial side of the elbow, so they'll get golfer's elbow. 
just because the shoulder doesn't move like a shoulder should. So now the elbow's taking up all the strain, right? That being said, when it comes to the elbow as well, the wrist, a lot of people have terrible wrist mobility. And wrists, I always say, are often forgotten when it comes to training, movement, and just like human anatomy. So think about what you use in the gym probably the most. It's your wrists. So every time I grip, every time I do push-ups, every time I do mountain climbers, every time I do stupid burpees, every time I do anything like bench press, dumbbell rows, whatever it is, my wrists have to be mobile in order to do those things. But most of the time, people don't have enough wrist extension in order to do those things. So what happens if this wrist can't extend, where do you think most of the pressure is gonna now transfer to? It's gonna be the elbow and that's usually you will see like tennis elbow stuff when people don't have enough wrist mobility. So a lot of times when I teach wrist cars in my kin stretch class, nobody has an absolute clue or kinesthetic awareness to realize how to dissociate their wrist from their elbow. They end up utilizing movements of their wrist with their elbow and can't separate the two. And that does goes to show that when they're in the gym or what they do in everyday life, again, the elbow's taking the grunt work, right? So if we just focused on hey, I'm gonna make my shoulder move better and I'm also gonna make my wrist move better so then I don't get elbow pain. In my case, I have good wrist mobility and shoulder mobility. What I did wrong that created that issue was I exceeded the load, that load capacity essentially, that my tendon in my form that, that, that it could take, right? Um, and this is another great example of how everyone's body's different, right? Like you can think like, oh, I hurt my thing between my shoulder blades because I did this. But in reality, it could just be like stress levels and your overall volume of training and everything else going on in life. Or you physically like popped a rib out because you did some can snatch overhead and couldn't stabilize it, right? It's so individual and that's why we need a thorough assessment, a thorough warm-up, a thorough approach to everything. And this is why I think a lot of people kind of hit a plateau or kind of a wall in their training when they don't have something specific. In the very beginning, they'll see some sort of progress, but down the line, you know, things tend to fall apart. So that was a lot of talking. Let's showcase shoulder, um, not shoulder cars, wrist cars. So the way I coach it, if I was standing, my elbows are going to be glued to my rib cage. My fingers are going to be glued together. And again, karate chop position. What we're going to do in this position, um, both hands, like my fingers are going to reach down to the ground as far as possible. I'm going to come into the middle and then open up towards the ceiling, out to the right and back to back down and again i'm gonna get a different view up out to the side and down and kind of similar to my elbow cars 
I'm going as far out into my outer ranges so I don't end up just like, oh, I'm just doing small circles. I'm like at my end range, right? And my forearms are fucking feeling it, like I'm working. And now I'm gonna go in the other direction, same thing. So one thing where everyone gets this wrong is I tell people, your forearms are always pointing up towards the ceiling. Imagine your cell phone on your forearm, a glass of wine, whatever is really important to you that fits on your forearm, don't let it fall. And what happens is when people try to do this because they don't have full control of their wrist or some sort of mobility limitation, they end up utilizing their forearms like I was saying before. So a lot of times what happens is they go down, they go in, and like, oop, the elbows come off the rib cage because they don't have the range to go into this little movement here and they need their elbows to help and they end up doing this weird like rotation thing with their arms and I'm like, no, you guys like squeeze those elbows together. Don't let your form, and then people end up doing this thing and it's like some weird dance wizarding spell thing. And I'm like, no, you need the forearms not to rotate. That wrist needs to move freely in relation to that uh, forearm, right? So if you look at my forearm, barely moving, it's just my wrist. Like it literally looks like my forearm is kind of like dead while my wrist is moving. A lot of people have trouble with that. Wrists. People will get wrist pain because they don't have full mobility. Um, people will get wrist pain in bench pressing because again, they don't have full extension and now you're fucking loading it with a barbell with fucking 225, 135, whatever it is, right? So those wrists need to have full mobility to do stuff. The other thing too um, that you'll see, and I had this before on my left hand. I remember for the longest time when I would you know, kind of go too quick on my warm up, and I'm like, okay, I need to do push ups, and I go into my push up position. Sometimes I would have like sharp pain from the bottom of my wrist to like my last two fingers here, kind of like really fast, and then something I, I would almost like strain the inside of my hand. And it wasn't until I took the FRC um, almost three years ago now, and when I checked my wrist extension, my left hand was significantly a lot less. And I remember I'm like, oh shit, like that happens to me when I do push-ups. When I do bench press, that happens to me. I always get wrist pain. And it's because I didn't have an ex enough extension on my left side. And I'm like, I need to work on this, right? Um, sorry, my watch is just going off. Um, so with wrists, always forgotten, make sure you have good control, good mobility for everything we do. Um, we're going to move on to the hips, so I'm going to have to like back up. So similar to the shoulder, the hips influence a lot of movement. If people have limited hip internal rotation and external rotation or any movement plane that the hip can go in, shit will fuck their, like their entire life. If you really think about it. not from an exercise standpoint, it will influence every fucking thing you do. So when I work with an individual and they have pain in their low back, guess what I'm looking for? Do you have hip internal rotation? Do you have hip external rotation? And can you control those two? Most of the time it's no. 
So it's like easy, give you hip, more hip mobility, boom, low back pain is gone. In science, right? Like crazy, groundbreaking. Who would have thought? You make a joint move really, really well and pain goes away, right? Um, so in all seriousness, if someone has limited hip mobility, it's going to cause a lot of issues and pain will follow. So hip cars is one of the things that I give to almost every single person. And just like the shoulder, there are ways to modify it if someone has pain and ways to you know, deviate away from painful patterns and things like that. So again, think hip like your shoulder moves in so many different planes of motion and we gotta find what works for you. But for the sake of this video, we are going to showcase a regular hip car, what to look for, what to train, and here we go. So I'm gonna move back a little bit. Um, hopefully you can see me. In a standing position, it's always good to have, you know, hand on the wall, hand on your bench, whatever it is. The outside leg is gonna be the working leg. What we're gonna do is drive our knee into as much flexion as possible and like as high as possible. From here, you're gonna go as wide as possible into abduction. From here, you're gonna rotate that hip into internal rotation. This is literally the hardest thing to do. And from here, I'm gonna to try to go to extension around and behind until my right knee meets my left knee. Now I'm halfway. Now I'm gonna go back into extension, external rotation, open up to abduction, and then come into where I started. And sorry for the phone shaking because I have this plopped onto my bed and my dog is sleeping and she tends to twitch when she's uh, dreaming. Um, so that was the hip car. If you noticed, my entire body, other than my hip, did not move. When people have restrictions, this is what you're gonna see. One, they come up not as high as I did. Like, this is my full flexion. Or if they try to imitate me, they have to bend that bottom knee, and that's all they get. From here, when people come out, they won't go all the way out like I did. And when I ask them for internal rotation, they bend over to get internal rotation. So what you're gonna to have to do is go a little bit lower and go turn into internal rotation. And usually this motion going to internal rotation and kind of kicking around is where people lose all sense of direction, all sense of space and time. They have no idea what the fuck their hip is doing. And it's super awkward, super weird. And the person looks at me like, did I do it? Like what it is. So practice, 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 practice until it's like we groove the pattern. In the hip car, a lot of times, and this is another variation that I like to use, is like you can have both hands on the wall to kind of get a little bit more feedback as you go through the motion, right? Um, and again, with the, say if I'm using my right hip, my left elbow, I wanna make sure the left elbow stays locked out the entire time. Um, just like the shoulder, a lot of people have hip pain. A lot of people get um, pinching, things like that. So when I have some really broken people, what we tend to do 
is break it up in half or in two parts. So a lot of times when I work with people that are in pain, have a lot of stuff going on, we just do this. We go into our flexion, we go into our abduction to external rotation, and then we close the door and back. And we literally just take that first little bit of the hip car just to move through it. As we progress, because I know that this transition of internal rotation is really, really, really difficult, then I will now kind of work the back piece. So it's like, okay, we got this going on. So now what we're gonna do is the last bit where I'm gonna stand, kick back, and try to open up into external rotation and back. And I just eliminated this small little section of the transition. And then I can always work that transition um, in a supine position, just doing axial rotations, which is another thing that I could talk about forever, but we're already like close to 30 minutes on this thing and we haven't hit the knee ankle or toes. So we're gonna move on. Uh, I'm gonna take you guys for a little ride onto the floor with me and hopefully it is bright enough for you to guys to see me. Yeah, this is good. Actually, yeah, that's good. Okay. Knee cars. The knee has the ability to go into external rotation, internal rotation, extension, and flexion. Very similar to the elbow, if you think about it. The issue here is just like the wrist, when I get people to do knee cars in my kin stretch classes, people have no idea how to fuck to move their knee joint. And they end up doing this weird ankle thing. So how to do knee cars is we're gonna have right knee bent, left leg straight out. Right hand goes through the right leg. And then my left hand's gonna hold my right hand kind of like this, like I'm doing a you know, solid handshake. And then I'm gonna pull my hip into flexion. So I'm gonna lock out my hip to prevent any influence from the hip to cheat. From here, because we're just working the knee joint, we've eliminated our hip, we also gotta eliminate our ankle. How do we do that? We throw our ankle into dorsiflexion. So I'm pointing my toes up towards my face. I tell people all the time, whatever you do in knee cars, never have your toes into plantar flexion. Never point them forward. Always have them pointing up towards your face the whole time. To start, I tell people, use your toes as a steering wheel. Turn that steering wheel to the right. And exactly at that moment, I'm turning my tibia, which is the bone in my shin, into external rotation. From there, I'm gonna extend my leg up as high as possible, so now I'm in uh, extension. Now I'm gonna turn that steering wheel of my toes in to the left, and now I'm in internal rotation, and I'm gonna come back down in deflection. And then you repeat, you come right back to where you found it, out to the side, and back down. Now, when people do this, what I tend to see is they're good at externally rotating it, but then the moment I ask them for extension, they kind of like let go of the ankle, they start pointing and they just start using their ankle for this while moving their knee deflection extension. But that's not it. You wanna lock out that ankle so then you just have tibial rotation, both internal and external. When I see people limited in 
external and internal rotation of their tibia. And like literally in this video, pointing my toes up towards the ceiling and my heel is dug into the ground. If you look at where my fingers are pointing towards the camera, if I take my tibia to the right into external rotation, you see where my fingers are pointing at and you can see where my toes are. And now if I turn it in to internal rotation, you can see where my fingers are. So now this should move freely. Like look how much range I have. For the most part, people either don't know how to freely move their tibia, especially when it comes to, um, what's it called? Uh, any kind of running, squatting, lunging, whatever it is. If they're limited into internal and external rotation, the distribution of force through the leg is gonna be kind of all just stuck in this knee. And then people get things like shin splints, ankle pain, knee pain, hip pain, low back pain. Having adequate tibial rotation allows you to disperse the force throughout the body evenly, so then you don't get any kind of pain. The biggest thing that influences our tibial rotation is every time we walk, every time we run, every time we sprint, every time we lunge, deadlift, squat. It's pretty important. Just like the wrists, knees are often forgotten. When I see uh, a difference between left and right, now I know that every time that person squats, lunges, or whatever, they have a favorite side that has more range of motion or you know, the same side because that hip has more range of motion. And then we get all these weird asymmetries and pain and crap like that and it all stems from the knees. Now, we're gonna move to the ankles. How that's gonna look? Same kind of position. Right knee bent, right hand through. This time, I'm gonna lift my hip up first. Left hand is gonna go on my right shin, right hand on my left forearm. So I'm in a Kimura lock. So if you follow the UFC or any kind of jiu-jitsu, you know what a Kimura lock is. From here, I'm trying to move my ankle just like my wrist. I am drawing those big, 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 big circles, right? Really simple, I'm using my toes to lead the movement back and forth. And then you switch directions. So the issue that I see a lot is when people go and do the um, ankle car, they're really good at you know this position, plantar flexion and um, dorsiflexion, but the moment they deviate out to the side and inside, they almost get this like, chunky like almost spasmic kind of feeling and then at the top they're like oh good and it's like and it's all good and then it's like almost jagged you know and all that tells me is that they have zero control when it comes to inversion and eversion of the ankle and that also tells me that when it comes to a situation where say you're taking a step off a sidewalk and because you're so good at um, dorsiflexion, plantar flexion back and forth to walk, any kind of you know, variable where maybe your ankle goes into inversion, no control and boom, now you have a rolled ankle. 
right? So being able to be efficient on both eversion and ever, uh, inversion and eversion of the ankle and having full control of that, most likely when you're presented with any kind of variation, uh, variable, um, you know, surface when you're walking, you'll be able to recover, right? Um, but I see a lot of times people just don't have full control. Um, last thing, we're going to do our toes. So when it comes to actually going back to the ankles, when I see a limitation of ankle mobility, obviously things like squatting, um, lunging, any leg exercise, any walking, running, or whatever it is, similar to the knee, it's going to have a huge influence. When our ankles are limited in range of motion, it's going to affect us a lot. So pay attention to those small joints like the ankles, the knees, the wrists, everything. They play a huge, huge role. And they kind of support bigger joints that have more influence like our hips and shoulders. Um, so we're now we're gonna move on to the toes. So the reason why I place a huge emphasis on the toes is that toes are probably the most forgotten joint because they are joints uh, out of everything in our body. The kicker here is that when it comes to toe mobility, everyone's terrible at it because we put socks on our feet and we wear shoes all freaking day. Our feet are exactly like our hands. If you look at the anatomy of our feet and, hand, and hands very similar to a point where they almost have the same amount of bones. I believe the hands up going up to the wrist is a total of 27 bones, whereas our feet and up to the ankle, there are 26. So very, very, very similar in design. But the huge difference is that our feet don't get the proprioception or the variance of feeling like our hands do because they're always exposed. So what happens is our feet go into something called atrophy where we end up losing the strength of all the muscles, all the small intricate muscles responsible for our feet. So then people end up with flat feet, collapsed arches, bunions, like all this kind of weird shit that prevents us from doing what we do best as being human. So really simple, I'll show you four variations that I do in my kin stretch class. I tell, all right, I tell everyone, all right, when I tell you to lift, it's just gonna be your big toe. So all the rest of the digits stay down onto the ground and then you just lift the big toe and then back down. You lift, back down, lift, and back down. You would be surprised how many people can't do this. This simple little like, just lift your big toe and place it back down. If this big toe does not move the way it's designed, for sure is gonna cause a lot of problems. If you think of any kind of propulsion or um, a way for your body to produce power, it comes from your big toe. That's your first point of contact onto the ground. But when people don't have full mobility or control of that, they're losing a lot on the table and who knows what their feet do when they're asked to run, right? Um, the other variation I tell people to do is the big toe stays down while the rest go up and then back down, up, back down, up, back down. 
Then from there, all toes come up, big toe only, and back up. Big toe only, back up. From there, big toe stays up while the rest go down and down and up. Down and up, down and up. Ideally, eventually what you should be able to do is one toe at a time coming up and down, right? Lots of lots of practice for this guy. So to kind of wrap things up, because we're getting pretty close here, um, toes often forgotten. When I do this in my kin stretch classes, you see all these people like looking down their toes and they're like, it's just not working. Or people will like start squeezing their hands or like they'll start pointing at their toes. Like they're like trying to command them to lift and come back down. And imagine if those people or even yourself who's watching, listening, whatever it is, get really good at this, how much that was gonna change if you decide to go for a run, if you decide to do step ups in the gym or push that sled, like having full control of those toes are going to make a difference, a huge difference. And it's also gonna go up the chain because now maybe your knees and ankles don't move that well, but now that you're moving your toes better, the ankles and knees don't have to take that much of the responsibility for whatever you're asking your body to do. Um, so that's gonna wrap it wrap it up for this episode because I've talked for 41 minutes and I could keep going, but we now have the entire morning routine from the neck down to the toes. If you did three repetitions of every single joint, it would take you less than 10 minutes. And this is kind of like the bare minimum I tell people to do is like, if you could do this every single day, 10 minutes, like literally that's all you needed to do your body will thank you. Your body will move better. It's going to groove better and you're gonna have less pain because you're constantly inputting to your nervous system that these joints have to move. Now this, as the joints move, you're improving its integrity by adding synovial fluid, lathering it with nutrients. This is why movement is medicine. The more you can move, the better you're going to feel. Like, that's it, that's it. Um, that's it for today. Um, if you guys have any questions, feel free to reach out, um, hit the show notes, add me on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to watch this episode, if you're listening, um, hit the show notes and the link is going to be in there. A lot of great stuff that we went over. Like I still think 